today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I'm at rock bottom, and I need this hope for my weary soul in my darkest hour. And this is who God is, and this is how God is, and this is why it is that God would have Jeremiah do this at this time. My people are broken now. They are downcast. They are weary. They are sorrowful. I want you to give them hope, the future hope that I have for them. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. God is the God of hope. In today's message from Pastor J.D., you learn that to hope in the Lord is to have an eternal hope that is unwavering. When you place your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you have a sure foundation and rock on which you can depend. Jesus is the light and hope of the world. Keep depending on Him. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. So why wasn't there a tribe of Joseph? Joseph had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. There was the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. And by the way, again, the name is the nature. You know what Manasseh means in Hebrew? It's actually the same in my native tongue of Arabic. It means to forget. And Ephraim means to make fruitful or be fruitful. And that's why Joseph named his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. He had forgotten all that had been done to him. What you did to me, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. He forgave and forgot, and it was because he forgave and forgot that God made him fruitful. That's why you don't have a tribe of Joseph. So when Jacob is blessing his sons, he blesses Manasseh, and Ephraim. And by the way, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, is the area today we know as Jerusalem. That's Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. So these two sons, only Benjamin was the youngest, Joseph the second to the youngest. They were the only two sons that came by way of Rachel. The other ten came by Leah. Now, why is this important? Because This is not just prophetic, it's also poetic as a type or picture of the yet future slaughter of the male children in Bethlehem under Herod. This is Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. That was a demonic, satanic attempt to kill the Savior of the world who had been born. And so he calculated 
that any male child under the age of two, kill him. Kind of reminiscent of what Pharaoh did, right? Save Moses, a deliverer, a type of Christ. So he had them all. And by the way, some historians and commentators, it's quite graphic. I won't get graphic, but they were, they were slaughtered. They were slaughtered. Then verse 17, we're told, was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That's the prophecy that we just read, and it was fulfilled and recorded in Matthew's gospel. Now, before we move on to verse 18, there's something here that I want to point out, very important. Every parent, there's hope for you, your children. Any parent who has a wayward daughter or a prodigal son, there is hope for you. There's hope for them. Never forget that God loves them more than you ever could. And He wants them right more than you ever could. And never, ever, ever give up on them. Never give up on them. Verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning, I repented, and after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. What's this about? What's this saying? Well, this speaks to that godly sorrow that the Apostle Paul writes about to the Corinthian church that leads to a genuine repentance. This was a genuine repentance, a turning back Verse 20, please don't miss this. Listen to the heart of God in his response. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Does this sound a little bit like the parable of the prodigal? It should. That's the heart of a loving heavenly father. And this is again one of those places where it's really hard for us to fully grasp the meaning when we're told that the heart of God yearns. It it sort of carries with it the idea of there's an internal, just a yearning and a like when your stomach is in pain, hunger pains, a a growling, a yearning, a churning. I mean, it's almost like a, a, a physical sickness because you ache and yearn and long so much for them. You know, the parable of the prodigal is to me perhaps one of the most powerful pictures of a loving Heavenly Father, and it's missing our culture for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. You would never in the Middle East, in my culture as an Arab, you would never in the Middle East see a dad, a father, run to his son. It's unthinkable, would never happen. 
Yet the picture that's painted for us in that parable of the prodigal son is that of not only a father running to his son, but waiting and watching, yearning, churning in his heart for his son to return, to show mercy to him. Oh, he loves him so. And when he sees his son coming from afar off, he he gathers his robe so he can run. I mean, this would be shameful in the Middle East. The father runs, no, boy, you run to me. No, that's what it's like. It's unimaginable, unthinkable, incomprehensible. Here's the father gathering his robe so he can run to his son after what his son did. You want to talk about meritorious. He doesn't deserve it. In fact, there's every indication that the son was a little bit taken back. He's kind of like, whoa, he was rehearsing what he was going to say to his dad all the way back home. Like, dad, I'm sorry, I took the inheritance. I wasted it. I spent it. I, I lost it all. Oh, can I just, how do I say this? I'll just shovel, you know what, you, you can use whatever word you want. I'll just do that for you. That would be better than what I was doing. I'll just, and, and here, his dad's running to him, and then he says, hey, we're going to have a feast like we've never had before. And it's so, <laughs> the older brother, there's a, there's a powerful lesson in that. He's not happy with this. He's like, are you kidding me right now? I've been faithful, and my brother went out and wasted his inheritance, and and you're going to do it. He didn't do that for me. Well, son, listen, he was lost. Now he's found. He's back. He's back. Well, this is the heart of God. This is the response. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. He yearns for us. He wants to give us His mercy on us. This is another thing, and I'm maybe giving the enemy too much credit, but if you think about it, he's also been met with a measure of success in this area, hasn't he? Getting us to think that God's angry with us, and we might want to just kind of lay low for a while. And No, he's waiting. And he's not waiting with a baseball bat to beat you. He's going to run to you. He has mercy for you. Verse 21, set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel, turn back to these your cities. How long will you gad about, verse 22, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth, a woman shall encompass a man. What? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, I'll just try to, at the risk of an oversimplification, explain it this way. It's basically saying their restoration is going to be so secure, so complete, so safe, that the woman can do that which the man would do in providing, covering, and protecting. So come back. And don't delay. What are you waiting for? How long will you get about? Come back. You're going to be restored. And that restoration is going to be so secure. Verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities, when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell, verse 24, in Judah itself, and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have, verse 25, and here it is again, satiated, satisfied the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. This is why it is so important to understand the timing of when Jeremiah would write this and when Jeremiah would deliver this to God's people. It is the darkest hour, and it's the time that they needed to hear this the most. You're going to be taken into captivity, but this is not the end. I'm going to chastise you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to teach you a lesson. But if here's what I'm going to do after. Oh, you have no idea. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you could ever imagine, let alone ask. And I'm going to satiate that weary soul. Man, if ever I needed to hear that, it would be at that time. I need to hear the word of the Lord, the promise from the Lord that He's going to restore me and satiate me and replenish me. Because right now I'm at rock bottom and I need this hope for my weary soul in my darkest hour. And this is who God is, and this is how God is, and this is why it is that God would have Jeremiah do this at this time. My people are broken now. They are downcast. They are weary. They are sorrowful. I want you to give them hope, the future hope that I have for them. I know my thoughts toward you. You don't know my thoughts, chapter 29, but I do, verse 11 that famous life verse that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. My plans for you, I know what my plans are for you. I know it doesn't seem like it right now, especially right now, but my plans are not to harm you. It's not evil. No, it's good. It's to give you a future and a hope. Verse 26, after this I awoke and looked around and my sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. By the way, side note, don't you think Jeremiah was a little bit happy about this particular prophecy in light of everything that he's had to prophesy up to this point. Oh Lord, I can thank you. Thank you. Because all the prophecies have been plucking up and breaking down and throwing down and destroying and judgment and destruction and affliction. And now you're saying, okay, well, now I'm going to build you up. Oh, thank you, Lord. I, I needed that. They need this too. In those days, verse 29, they shall say no more. 
The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Now this is actually Ezekiel references this as well. This was a saying in that day. In fact, we've kind of modernized it about sour grapes. This is basically the children blaming the parents for everything. Let me say that again. (laughs) It's the children not taking responsibility for themselves, but blaming their parents. They ate the sour grapes, and that's why our teeth are set on edge. It's their fault. You know, we had a dysfunctional family. Every family's dysfunctional. Are you kidding me? It's the parents' fault. That's why I'm going through this. No, it's not their fault. You can't blame them for that. I mean, listen, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but you can't blame the parent, the sour grapes story. God isn't going to buy it. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Every time we partake of communion, Jesus, when He gives them the cup, says this is the cup of the my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant. Well, what happened to the old covenant? Oh, it's not nullified, it's fulfilled. It's not done away with, it's completed. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more, verse 34, shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Ah, as far as the east is from the west. Ah, I will remember them no more. I will, though your sins, Isaiah says, are as scarlet, the Lord says, I will make them white as snow. I will remove them as far as the east is from the west, and remember them no more. That's the new covenant. See, the old covenant, it was kofar, covering. The sins were covered. That's the old covenant. New covenant, no longer covered. God removed, and He remembers them no more. Aren't you glad? I love how one said it. Every time you pray, and ask God to forgive a sin that you already asked Him to forgive you for, He's like, oh, I forgot about that. You just reminded me of that again. Verse 35, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name, in case you were wondering. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. 
Thus says the Lord, verse 37, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. This is what I mean when I say that anybody who is deceived and believed that the church replaces Israel as God's elect and God's chosen people, a.k.a. replacement theology, they will stay as far away from a passage like this as they possibly can, and for good reason. Because you know what God's saying here, right? He's saying, if you wake up one morning and the sun isn't there, then I'm done with Israel. If at night, when you go to bed and you look out and the moon and the stars are not there, I'm done with Israel. Uh, The waves of the sea, when they're roaring to and fro, if that ever stops, then I'm done with Israel. It's worse than that. If, If you can find me somebody that is able to actually measure heaven and the universe and and the foundations of the earth. In other words, you got to get a pretty big measuring tape to do that. Uh, and also not just the foundations of the earth, but beneath. So you've got to measure that, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Uh, if you can do that, then I will cast off Israel. Do you get the impression that he's not going to do that? Because nobody's going to do that. And the sun's going to be there, and the moon's going to be there, and nobody's going to come back with the measurements of the earth and the universe. So I'll say this as lovingly as I can, but if God is through with the Jew, then what about me and you? See, God has a covenant with the Jew. And if He has a covenant with the Jew, and He has a new covenant with me and you too, and He's through with the Jew, then how secure are you? In other words, you don't want God to be through with the Jew. And that's an Arab telling you that, by the way. Because if God's through with the Jew, then I don't know about you. Replacement theology is, ugh, I better stop or my blood pressure is going to go up. Behold, verse 38, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. Notice the specificity, verse 39, the surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill, Gadab, then it shall turn toward Goath, 40, verse 40, and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. All right. I love ending a chapter in a Bible study like that. You know what an everlasting covenant is? It's a covenant that lasts forever. Forever. This is a literal restoration of Israel and Jerusalem. And we have quite the specificity here, don't we? I like how one commentator said it, and and I'll close with this. Very, I, I love this. Anyone who tries to assign what we just read to a spiritual Israel, does violence to the text. I like that. True that. That's not a spiritual Israel. This is a literal Israel. Jerusalem is going to be restored. And we've got the boundaries. I like this. I've not heard of some of these places. 
but we got the, the boundaries where it's going to be restored to. Oh, may it be. Thank you, Lord. We are so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Throughout this book, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking words that God has given him, warning the Israelite nation that judgment is sure to come. But the people don't want to hear it. They'd rather carry on in their revelry, living their best life now. If you've noticed, there's a mentality of that in today's culture, too. Don't you dare give anyone warning about the red flags in their life. They're just taking that idea of eat, drink, and be merry and running with it. Unfortunately, these warnings in Jeremiah weren't heeded. And that's how it can be today as well, as God gives fair warning about what's to come in the future. But are you prepared for what God's warnings are? Have you taken heed to what he speaks and teaches about in his word? These aren't just mentioned as a side note. Everything in God's Word is intentional and has a purpose. If you'd like to know more about what this all means, we encourage you to go to our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. There, you'll find the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This provides an in-depth overview of what it means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he can save you from a life and eternity without him. If you're in the area and would like to connect with some others in person about this, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. You can find directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for the next edition in Jeremiah, here on In Spirit and Truth.